Heavenly Father, please help us today as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Lord, please do plant it deep in us, that you would shape and fashion us in your likeness. We pray that you would help Stephen to proclaim it faithfully uh, and clearly, and that you would be at work in our hearts by your spirit, that we would receive it uh, as your word, that it would transform our hearts and our minds, that we might know you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're going to read Psalm 13 together. So this is on page 436 of your Bibles. So why don't we kick it off? Uh, so please join me. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. All right, and our second reading is Luke 11, uh, starting at verse 1, so that's over on page 843. My microphone is failing, <laughs> or falling, here we go. All right, this will do. Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to him, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he'll surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Uh, the next readings are from 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 12. So it's on page 931. Right. I think. Got it. <laughs> it's a logistical nightmare. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 
Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Then we're over to chapter 14. Starting at verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are the mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. There you go. (laughs) I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you.
What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Madeline, and uh, Ben also. <clears throat> well, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning we continue and conclude a short series of sermons on some spiritual disciplines. Um, actually, there are, there are lots of spiritual disciplines, but in this short series I've just chosen four to focus on for various reasons, four that I thought uh, needed attention. Uh, what are spiritual disciplines? Well, <clears throat> spiritual disciplines are healthy habits that train us in godliness. Um, they are things that we do that help us to get to know God better and to become more like Jesus. Today, uh, we're going to be thinking about prayer. Prayer is talking to God. And if we're going to consider prayer, we need to consider the power of words. Um, I guess for me, I, I learned a lot about prayer back in 1997 when I went to a Bible college for a year in Canada. And one of the courses that I did was on the Psalms. And uh, the teacher who taught uh, that course was Eugene Peterson. Um, you might have heard of Eugene Peterson. He's the translator of a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message that, that is very popular. And uh, he had a profound influence on me. Um, in the, his first class on the Psalms... He taught us his two golden rules of prayer. The first rule was this. Trust yourself. Prayer is honest. Prayer is you. Prayer is the honest expression of yourself to God. There's no need for, there's no room for a praying persona. Um, you don't have to put on an American accent uh, when you pray. You don't have to say, oh God, oh God, unless of course you do have an American accent, in which case that's fine. And you want to go, oh God, oh God, <clears throat> then that's fine. But you don't have to put on a persona in front of God. He knows who you are. He knows what's on your heart. And he knows when you're not telling it as it is. So the best place to start when it comes to prayer is wherever you are. That's the first rule of prayer. Trust yourself. And the second is like it. Don't trust yourself. The, the human heart is deceitful beyond understanding, to, to quote Jeremiah. As Eugene used to say, there's no place where human beings are as prone to fantasy and self-deception as when they're on their knees in prayer. Sinful human beings create God in, his, in their own image. We need to watch out then. And be careful, especially when we're praying. We, we need to remember not to trust ourselves. It was therefore a mark of some considerable maturity that the disciples understanding this came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Therefore, we can all pray, trusting that wherever we are, that's the right place to start. But from there on, we also need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, Teach us to pray. And the book of Psalms, the Psalter, um, the, the Psalms teach us to pray. 
We do not know how, how we ought to pray. We, we do not know what to pray. But the Psalms, the Psalter, gives us prayer language that is just astonishing in its depth and breadth and width and height. Every emotional experience is there in the Psalms. And again and again, the astonishing thing about the Psalms is that in them we, 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 we find the psalmist praying unspeakable things to God. Things that left to our own devices we consider wrong or I can't say that to God. The Psalms teach us to pray with brazen emotional honesty. And the, the book of Psalms, um, it understands itself to be a classroom. And it has been considered the classroom of prayer for 3,000 years. Since the days of King David, it has been the understanding of the people of God, synagogue and church, that the people of God pray the Psalms, both corporately in worship and singularly in private devotion, all of them without omission or exclusion. And indeed, one way of understanding the Lord's Prayer is that it is a summary of the book of Psalms. So then, left to our own devices, we do not know how to pray, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding us, interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. Well, the Psalms are Spirit-given. Words from God for people to use in conversation with God. Um, in the Psalms, you'll find the words that make unspeakable feelings and thoughts speakable to God. Unspeakable thoughts about unspeakable people and unspeakable circumstances suddenly speakable to God. That's a little bit about the power of words. Words have power. They're very, very powerful. Words are extraordinarily powerful. But they are not all-powerful. Because to all technologies, there is a limit. And language is a technology. Words are tools. Um, actually, I'm, I'm at a loss with most tools. Um, uh, um, the fact that I have all my hands and all my feet shows that I have never picked up an angle grinder. Um, uh, um, but I like to think that I'm good with words. You might disagree, but I like to think. Um, but I'm at a loss with, with other tools. Uh, you might feel similarly or differently. You might feel that you're good with words. You might feel that you're a virtuoso with the chisel or the lathe or the angle grinder or the scalpel or the violin. You might choose the basketball as the means through which you express yourself because with that tool you're brilliant. Um, um, or it might be numbers or computer code. Um, whatever, you know, whatever your technology, whatever the tool you use with greatest skill to express yourself, maybe the paintbrush, you, we all understand that all tools are limited in what they can do. Some things are expressible, but inexpressible in words. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. If, if words can fail for God, words can fail for us. 
And that brings us, by some circuitous route, to the gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, the gift of tongues, um, speaking in tongues or praying in tongues, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, wherein the person praying prays in a language that is unknown to them. That prayer language could be a foreign human language, known um, to others but not to the speaker, crystal clear to some who are hearing him or her, but actually unknown to the person praying that happens. Or the prayer language, the speaking in tongues, could be a non-human, Holy Spirit-given prayer language, a language unclear and indecipherable to both speaker and to audience. Indeed, as Paul says, nobody understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Um, not uncommonly, when people pray or speak in tongues, the sounds admitted are more like a string of sounds than they are like a string of words. When people pray in tongues, it can sound like gobbledygook, not to put too fine a point on it. The gift is profoundly mysterious. It is perhaps the mysterious nature of this gift that makes it actually so contentious. And if all of this is new to you, if you've never heard of the gift of speaking in tongues before, then perhaps one of the first things you should know about this is that this is a, a, a gift of the Holy Spirit that is indeed controversial and contentious. It's contentious both within the church and outside of the church. Outside of the church, the gift is occasionally used in mockery and ridicule of Christians. The comedian, Steve Carroll, lampoons Christians praying in tongues in the film Bruce Almighty. And if my memory serves, speaking in tongues is ridiculed in one or two episodes of Not the Nine O'Clock News, um, if you can remember that far back. Uh, speaking in tongues is plainly ridiculous to non-Christians, something that the Apostle Paul was acutely aware of, saying, so then, if the whole church comes together and everybody's speaking in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're crazy, that you're out of your minds? Well, scientifically, the phenomenon is known as glossolalia, from the Greek words glossa, meaning tongue or language, and the Greek word lalio, meaning to speak. Scientifically, claims that the phenomenon is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit look dubious in the light of the fact that the phenomenon of ecstatic, unintelligible vocalization, glossolalia, in other words, is found, this phenomenon is found in many religions, not just in Christian churches. The gift is contentious outside of the church. It's contentious within the church. We have a problem with this gift of the Holy Spirit. There were problems with this gift in the Corinthian church, which is why Paul has to write so much about it in the first place. Speaking or praying in tongues was, we can see, practiced so enthusiastically in the Corinthian church and without, regards, without regard to others that their church services had become disorderly and ridiculous. Power displays of super-spirituality that seemed to be more about boasting and image and one-upmanship than about worship and serving one another and becoming more like Jesus. Um, in more recent times, the American Pentecostal revival of the early 20th century, um, a, a massively influential event worldwide, that, that 
Pentecostal revival about 100 years ago gave rise to various groups and churches for whom praying in tongues was of pivotal importance. And one of the big theological questions that arose out of those times was, does the Bible teach that Christians are to experience a special baptism in the Holy Spirit different to and subsequent to conversion and water baptism? In other words, is the process of becoming a Christian a three-stage process? Conversion, water baptism, and then baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the Pentecostal answer to that question was essentially yes. And the next question was, therefore, how do we know if somebody's been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And the Pentecostal answer, or at least many different groups, the, the answer to this question was, they will speak in tongues, as the disciples of old did on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And then the household of Cornelius, when the Spirit came upon them, Acts chapter 10. And as when Paul found that group of disciples in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, and he baptized them in water, and he laid his hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Where this effectively left these groups was in the place of saying, therefore, if you don't pray in tongues, you're not really a Christian at all. And many, many different responses to that were possible, but perhaps the least possible response, sorry, the least possible, the least helpful response was the commonest which was, no, if you do pray in tongues, you're not a Christian at all. Um, you may have noticed, um, for those of you who have been coming to St. Barnabas for a few years and you've attended one of our biennial church camps, you may have noticed that we stay at a campsite that bans two things. It bans the drinking of alcohol and the speaking in tongues. The, that some Christians felt the need to shut down this conversation about this gift, to ban the gift of tongues altogether, probably related, probably relates to their assumptions regarding the Bible. In their defense of the Bible as God's word, some Christians felt it necessary to insist that God only speaks through the Bible. This insistence comes from praiseworthy motives. We must indeed defend sola scriptura, that profound and true Reformation principle that the Bible is indeed the final authority in all matters of faith and doctrine. For us as Anglicans, that's Article 6 in our 39 Articles of Religion. But of course, the notion that God only speaks through the Bible is mistaken. And it's mistaken because it's not what the Bible teaches about the Bible. The, the Bible is indeed the first and final authority, the rule against which everything else is to be judged. But according to the Bible, the most common way in which God speaks to people, he can speak to people in many ways, but the most common way in which God speaks to people is through people. And 1 Corinthians 14 is about two ways that God might choose to do that. Unintelligible, divinely inspired speech called tongues, and intelligible, divinely inspired speech called prophecy. So then, 
given all of this controversy and discomfort over the practice of speaking in tongues, why raise it now? Why talk about it at all? Well, there are two good reasons. Firstly, because Paul himself does not want us to be ignorant or uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit. Ignorance causes problems, hurts, and divisions. And the way that you correct ignorance is by teaching. And in teaching on this topic... Probably the first thing to say is that the two extreme positions that one encounters over this phenomenon are demonstrably wrong. On the one hand, if you don't speak in tongues, that does not mean you aren't a real Christian. Paul says it explicitly in in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that there are many, many different kinds of gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many diverse gifts. And they're not all given to all Christians. Rather, just as each part of the body has a different job to do, so each person in the church has a different job to do, gifted by the Holy Spirit with gifts for the edification of the whole body. Not all Christians are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all work miracles, not all speak in tongues. Um, And yet there's nothing strange, wrong, or unchristian in speaking in tongues. The, the fact that it is mentioned several times in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians and also arguably in other places too means that, at least in some places, speaking in tongues is commonplace and normal. The fact also that people of other faiths speak or pray in tongues by no means proves that this gift isn't from the Holy Spirit. Indeed, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit does... Other spirits like to imitate him for one reason or another. So then, um, we reject worldliness when it comes to this gift. Speaking in tongues is neither to be made compulsory, nor is it to be paraded as a badge of authentic spirituality, nor is it to be boasted about as though it was evidence of a superior experience of Jesus, On the other hand, it is not to be rejected. It's not to be despised. It's not to be labeled as satanic. Paul writes, verse 39, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Rather, we are to think about it in a biblical and balanced way. Secondly, speaking or praying in tongues is a good gift. That's the second reason why we should teach on it, because it's wonderful. It's a great thing to do. Here's what Paul has to say about speaking in tongues. He says, verse 5, I would like every single one of you to speak in tongues. And some 13 verses later, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is in favor of speaking in tongues. But we should understand it. Verse 1, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Speaking in tongues is speaking to God. Speaking to God is prayer. So speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, it's the same thing. Verse 2, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. That's a great thing to do. When Paul prays in tongues, he is praying or singing in his spirit, with his spirit. Paul says that anyone praying in tongues is speaking aloud to God In a spirit-given prayer language, he or she utters mysteries with his or her spirit so that that person is edified. Edification, this means that they're growing in the strength of their faith. They're spiritually renewed when they're praying in tongues. Isn't that great? 
Spiritually, that person is being refreshed. They're feeling stronger. They are stronger. The language is spirit-given. The spirit, he helps us in our weakness. We are doing what God himself does. The spirit uses inarticulate groans to express articulately what is inexpressible. Particularly, I think, when it comes to grief. Sometimes grief cannot be expressed with words. And the gift of tongues allows us to express in a language we do not understand that which needs to be expressed but we cannot express in our mother tongue. And it's wonderful. Um, there are many, many times when it's important to me to pray in tongues. If I'm just about to preach or to speak for God, if I'm, then I speak in tongues. If I'm um, beforehand, if I'm praising and worshipping God, I sometimes find myself praying in tongues. If I'm feeling spiritually dry or discouraged, I make the decision to pray in tongues. If, I want, if I'm needing in prayer ministry to pray urgently for someone, but I have no idea how to pray for this person, I pray in tongues. And um, without exception, God gives me something, and then I know how to pray for this person. If I'm feeling overcome by fear, worry, or anxiety, I pray in tongues. Um, um, in praying in tongues, I'm speaking the unspeakable to God. I'm praying when words fail. And the common thread in all of these things is that I need to be spiritually strong at, the t at those times. So I, the right thing to do is to edify myself. It's the gift that God's given me to do that. And praying um, in tongues, it's, it's one of the gifts that God has given me. There are lots of gifts that God hasn't given me. But as I pray in tongues, I feel strong. And I know that I am stronger. Um, spiritually. Now, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 14, you may have already noticed that every single time Paul mentions tongues, it's in order to make a comparison with prophecy and to make that comparison in order to place prophecy as higher. The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the whole church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church... I would rather speak even just five intelligible words so as to instruct others. It's better than 10,000 words in a tongue. If everyone in the church service speaks in tongues, outsiders will say you're crazy. But if everyone prophesies, outsiders or unbelievers who are present with you, they're going to fall down on the floor and cry out, God is truly here. Paul is clearly passionate about prophecy. And that begs the question, what is prophecy? What is he talking about exactly? And that's an excellent question that I'll answer on another day. My point for today is uh, we shouldn't let Paul's passion for prophecy blind us to his love for praying in tongues. It, this is my second reason for teaching on tongues. It's a good gift. It's a wonderful thing to do. But it does require some ground rules. Um, first of all, in verses 6, 13, 27, and 28, Paul tells us speaking in tongues is not to be done publicly in church 
unless there is someone who can interpret. This sometimes happens in churches. One person may feel that they have a message for the church, but it comes in the form of tongues. They stand and they speak in a tongue. One or two others may feel that they know what the message means, that the Spirit has given them the interpretation. And they stand to give the interpretation. Um, I haven't seen this happen a lot, but they have seen it happen occasionally at St. Barnabas. One example, many years ago, at, and many, many years ago, at an evening worship service here at St. Barnabas, we were all facing that way, um, someone stood to give a message uh, in tongues. This was immediately interpreted by another person who stood to give the interpretation. About 20 or 30 minutes later, another person stood. Um, this, this second interpreter was a friend of mine. He was about my age. He, he was a, a dear friend, a dear brother, a faithful and passionate Christian. Um, however, he, he did suffer from um, an, an intellectual disability, a handicap, and he, he was in truth slow to understand things sometimes. And as this friend of mine stood up and announced his, interp in his, his intention to interpret the message, I remember feeling, uh, Lord have mercy, I remember feeling some contemptuous frustration and thinking to myself, oh brother, can't you keep up? It's already been interpreted. How embarrassing. We've moved on. In truth, he did not realize that the message had been interpreted. But what he said was exactly the same interpretation, but in totally different language. He said it his way, using his words and his idioms and his catchphrases. But it was the same message. And I, I learnt from that not to despise what the Holy Spirit might want to say, nor to judge whom the Holy Spirit might want to use to speak through. So then, no public speaking in tongues unless there's an interpreter present. This does not mean that people can't speak in tongues in church. People can. It just means that the correct use of this gift is usually a matter of personal devotion done in a discreet way. Let's conclude. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness? We do not know how we ought to pray. We do not know what to pray. What's the answer? The Spirit himself helps us, giving us the words, expressing the inexpressible, speaking the unspeakable, that we might grow in intimacy with God our Father, because he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. The, the point of prayer is to grow in our intimacy with God our Father through Jesus his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit who helps us. Therefore, our first step always is to say to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't trust ourselves. We all need God's help. If praying the Psalms is a new idea to you this morning, then uh, maybe go home and make a start. Try um, praying the Psalter, the Psalms, maybe one or two Psalms in them every morning, one or two Psalms every evening, in order as you go through, pray them to God. Let the language get under your skin. The Spirit will help you, and you will grow in your knowledge of God and of His will. Then, if you'd like to receive the gift of tongues, uh, talk to God about that and ask whomever 
He directs you to. If you don't want to pray in tongues, you don't have to. Yet eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, This is uh, the good news for today. We can speak the unspeakable to God. Words fail, but God doesn't. Life has extremes, and so does prayer. The Spirit helps us to express to God the inexpressible, and in this we grow. To the praise and glory of God, and in the name of Jesus, his Son. Amen.